You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I am your host, Kristen Maxwell, and in the show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own life. Today, I am talking to Stacy Friedenthal about a really important topic, and that is what to do when someone you love is thinking about suicide. And Stacy Friedenthal is a therapist who specializes in helping people who think about suicide. With extensive experience in crisis and suicide prevention settings, she's the creator and manager of Speaking of Suicide at speakingofsuicide.com. She has also recently released the book, Loving Someone with Suicidal Thoughts, What Family, Friends, and Partners Can Say or Do. And I am really excited to be talking to her about this topic because, unfortunately, Suicide is something that we're often um, faced with, with people that we love experiencing these thoughts. And it's such a time of feeling hopeless and uh, powerless. And so any guidance we can get on what to do and how to show up will be helpful. So anyway, Stacey, welcome to your superpowered mind. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's such an important topic. And so my first question is always, what superpower did you uncover in the process of mastering your mind? Sure. Um, Well, when I initially heard this question, I I had one answer, but can I give a tie? Yes, of course. So my first answer that came to mind is hope. Um, Being able to witness the transformation that occurs in people as well as in myself has given me a lot of hope and also just understanding that things change. I mean, I would say it's not false hope. It's not a superficial, it gets better, but it is a valid things change, you know, and things can change for the better. And then my, the second thing that came to mind is good enough because I have had a long struggle with perfectionism. Um, I sometimes think maybe when I came out of the womb, I thought, ooh, I didn't do that the right way. And <laughs> and so uh, learning the, the value of being good enough, there's that phrase, perfect is the enemy of good. Mm-hmm. And so learning the value of good enough has liberated me in, in some ways to be more creative and take more chances and to be okay with being imperfect. Yeah. And that is so hard because no matter what we do, no matter where in anything, we can always have thoughts of, I could have done it better, should have done better. It's always true. So it's really hard to argue with when our mind goes into that space. So I love that. That's exactly right. Yeah. So let me just, let's get started because I'm going to go right in, you know, when someone you love is thinking about suicide, are you completely powerless? Oh, no, no. There's a myth and it's a, it's actually 
listed, you know, you'll see a list of like the 10 most common myths about suicide. And it's always on this list. And it's a myth that there's nothing you can do once somebody makes up their mind to die by suicide. Now, I will say, again, speaking of perfectionism, um, there's also not a way to be perfect at preventing someone from dying by suicide. I mean, you can do everything. And there are people who will still, unfortunately, in their lives. But there's also, you know, between those two extremes of doing nothing and doing everything, there are many mm. things that you can do that can also make a huge difference. And we know this because people who have been stopped from suicide have been studied and, and years, even decades later, the vast majority of them have not gone on to die by suicide. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. So they were glad <laughs> that they were, they were stopped. Wow. Okay. I want to um, go into obviously what it is um, that people can do and think and say to help someone maybe change their mind and find hope again. But before we do, we're going to take a break. Before we do, can you let people know where they can find out about you and your work? Sure. I, I would say two different websites. One is stacyfriedenthal.com. And that's Stacy with an E. And then Friedenthal is like Friedent Gum plus H-A-L. Mm -hmm. And then speakingofsuicide.com. Great. Thank you. Hang on, everybody. And when we come back, we're going to be talking more What about what are actual steps we can do um, when someone you love is thinking about suicide. Hi, everyone. I'm Tonya Don Reckla, Executive Director of Superpower Experts. Are you ready to master your life? Are you looking for more calm and peace, connectedness in your relationships, more clear communication, guided thoughts, and a confidence in your ability to come up with creative solutions no matter what happens? Then join us at our next experience. Go to superpowerexperts.com and get signed up today. So, uh, welcome back, everyone. I was already moving on to thinking. So, if you've got somebody that you know and you hear, well, first of all, how do you know if somebody is thinking about suicide? That's a great question because really, I mean, they they need to tell us and they may tell us with words or they may tell us with actions or they may tell us with clues. You know, people can drop hints. And the the hard thing with that is that the hints people drop can also be similar just to everyday things that some people say, and it doesn't mean they're thinking of suicide. So the first, you know, thing I would say in terms of what to do is to ask if you're worried or concerned or have, you know, an inkling that maybe somebody is having suicidal thoughts to ask the question. And another myth in that list of top 10 myths is that Asking about suicidal thoughts gives the person the idea or that it increases their risk for suicide. And there have been systematic studies that have looked at, you know, comparing one group that was asked about suicidal thoughts and another that wasn't. And then they were followed up two weeks later. And the people who are asked are not more likely to think of suicide than those who weren't asked. And in fact, um, some who were asked and had attempted suicide got better or, you know, they not completely, but they improved. And there's a, a hypothesis that being able to share even in a research study helped. Yeah. 
And is there a right way and a wrong way to ask? Well, I mean, I don't think we know scientifically that there is a specific right or wrong way, but my opinion is that, and some of this I think is common sense. I mean, my one thing is not to ask in the negative. And I've I've witnessed many people doing this, even professionals, where they'll say, you're not thinking of suicide, are you? And that's kind of leading the, you know, what's that phrase, a leading question. It's showing mm-hmm. the person the answer you want. Because like, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where like, say, there's only one piece of cake left and you're with a friend and they say, you're not going to have that last piece of cake, are you? Well, you know what answer that friend wants because right. they want the last piece of cake. And so when someone says you're not going to, you know, you're not thinking of suicide, well, it you already know the answer needs to be yes in order to avoid conflict or distress or anxiety with the other person. And then some people, they take it even one step further and they say, you're not thinking of doing anything stupid, are you? Which uh. I would say is another really not good way to ask. But something that's more subtle is a lot of people they're scared to say the word suicide or kill yourself or end your life. And Mm -hmm. so they'll say, do you have thoughts of hurting yourself? Mm. And, you know, again, we don't have a scientific study to show what the effect is of asking hurting yourself versus direct language. But my opinion and, you know, what I've heard from other people is that hurting to ask if someone's hurting them, ask, sorry, I'm, Tongue tied. To ask if someone's thinking of hurting themselves is not asking if they're thinking of killing themselves because some mm. people, they hurt themselves as a way to cope and they don't have suicidal thoughts or suicidal intent. And right. some people have suicidal thoughts and they hurt themselves as a way to avoid acting on their suicidal thoughts. And, and the other thing, though, is that when you ask someone if they're thinking of hurting themselves, you're avoiding direct language and kind of sending the message that suicidal thoughts are unthink- are unspeakable, mm. you know, that we have to use this coded language. And so for that reason, I just recommend using direct language. And if and, and there are concerns culturally that some people may be offended because maybe in their cultural group, there's such a taboo about talking about suicide or even death that direct language offends them. And so then check that out. Or, or, you know, if they get offended, it's not the worst thing in the world. You can repair that and talk about it. But the alternative to me is much more damaging. And that's somebody having suicidal thoughts and feeling like they can't talk to you about them. Right. So directly saying, are you thinking about committing suicide or thinking about suicide? To give them permission to talk about it and also give you the actual true response. Exactly. And also to convey that you can talk about it, that you're that you're not scared or or you may be scared, but you're going to you're going to be brave and ask anyway. And I don't mean like, you know, you should call someone up and say, hey, how are you doing? Are you thinking of suicide? I mean, there are Mm -hmm. ways to lead into the question, which I go into in my book, but I can share here, too. I'm not going to, you know dangle that like a carrot. But um, one of the things is to kind of 
normalize, I mean, we don't want to normalize suicide because suicide itself isn't normal, but to normalize having thoughts of, I wish I weren't here anymore, or, mm-hmm. you know, I wish I could go to sleep and not wake up, or I wish I were dead. And and when I say normalize, I don't mean, oh, you know, we want to glamorize or or sugarcoat it. But to speak the truth, which is that many people have thoughts like that. And we know that in the United States, every year, um, 14 to 15 million people seriously consider ending their life. So, Mm. so what we could, you know, what you can do to lead into the question is to say, like, um, you know, after you've had a conversation and you understand some of what the person's going through to say, well, a lot of people who are going through this kind of situation, they have thoughts of suicide. Do you? Mm. Yeah, I like that. And it's a way that then you're communicating that, you know, that this happens. You, you don't think that, you know, they're quote, quote, crazy if they're having suicidal thoughts and there just can be a lot of value on it. Yeah. And then they have the opportunity to tell you the truth, you know, which leads me to, to wonder though, are people always going to tell you when you ask? Well, that's a, a good question. And I don't want to instill pessimism, but the reality is, is that many people will not. And there's been in recent years, a number of studies on disclosure of suicidal thoughts and non-disclosure. And Mm -hmm. a a very recent study found that 40% of adolescents and young adults don't tell their therapist if they have suicidal thoughts, which Mm. is astounding to me and also very sobering as a therapist. Very scary. Yes. Yes. Very scary. And so what I recommend is if the person says, no, they're not thinking of suicide, I recommend asking in the future, if you did have suicidal thoughts, do you think you would be able to tell me? And mm. a lot of people say no. And, the, you know, and they'll say like, I wouldn't tell you that. No. Mm-hmm. And then that's a good opportunity to say, can you tell me why? And, mm. you know, the, the fears that people have about sharing suicidal thoughts. There are many fears, but the biggest one that I've encountered is you'll call the police and have me sent to a hospital. Mm. There's another common fear is you'll get mad or you'll get worried or you'll panic. I think is you're going to panic. Yeah. And then call the police. So that's two fears in one. Mm -hmm. And, and so then that, you know, for me as a therapist, I mean, I, I've had so many people, it's, it's, you know, I would say the majority um, that when they've said they don't have suicidal thoughts and I've asked them if they would tell me and they've said no, and I've, you know, we've explored that, that they then disclose they do have suicidal thoughts. Mm. Now, of course, I'm unique in, in a way because I specialize in problems related to suicide. So um, I probably see a higher, I know I see a higher proportion of people with suicidal thoughts than others, but that even illustrates the fear people have in sharing. Right. Yeah. And is it, um, would you get, I mean, this would be a guess, I guess, is it that they're afraid they're going to get stopped or is it a shame or upsetting the other person though? Although of course, suicide 
is going to upset them a whole lot more. <laughs> it is, except that, you know, to somebody who's has intense suicidal thoughts, um, very often they have a conviction that other people will be better off if they die, which mm. of course, to people who don't have suicidal thoughts can seem completely irrational. I mean, I've, I've had right. teenagers say my parents would be better off if I weren't here. And that's so sad, <laughs> you yeah. know? And, and of course there's no world in which the parents could conceive that they would be better off if their child wasn't alive or, you know, especially if they ended their own life. And, but, but it seems rational to somebody. It, it can seem rational. I'm not going to say everybody thinks the same way, but it's a very common um, trait. In fact, it's so common that there's a book called Why People Die by Suicide. And the author, Thomas Joyner, has three conditions that he says have to be met for suicide to occur. And one is perceiving yourself as a burden to others. Mm. So I'm sorry, I think I got a little off track though. What was No, your- but it's all very helpful, very helpful. And so I guess the question then is, so we've got the idea, we've got to ask it, we've got to ask it directly um, and then say, and would you tell me? And why not if you wouldn't? And then let's say they do. Mm-hmm. Because then, yes, gonna going to freak out, <laughs> right? Well, so what are we supposed to do? You know, what is... Um, you know, what is a better response than that? Than freaking out, you mean? Yeah, than freaking out. Of course, you're going to freak out internally. I mean, there, there's no way around that. But, you know. You're going to there... feel fear. You're, you're, you're... going to feel fear. That's a good way to put it. Yes. Yes. I mean, and even professionals who have been doing this for years or decades can feel fear. I I saw an article once where a psychologist said that it's shameful that we haven't trained fear out of mental health professionals when they encounter somebody with suicidal thoughts. And to my mind, it's not shameful at all. It's natural. And we need to, you know, again, in terms of perfectionism, we need to not strive for that perfect state of being where you don't get afraid when something's scary. Instead, we can accept that it's scary and that we still are going to be present with the person. And so the next step, I mean, obviously there's different possible next steps. If the person has a firearm in their hand, then of course the next step is going to be very different than if they're saying that sometimes when they go to bed at night, they wish they wouldn't wake up, you know? So, you know, there are the crisis situations that need emergency help, but most situations you can have a a conversation. And in that conversation, you know, speaking of fear, I I think people need to listen bravely and to, Mm -hmm. and, and the way I put it in my book is to ask the questions whose answers they fear and to listen, to really listen to what's hard to hear without trying to shut down the person. And shutting down the person can look different ways and people can be very well-intentioned, but still shut down the person, you know, in terms of like, they may say, you're so young, you have so much to live for. You've got so many good things going on. How could you want to die? And what the other person hears is there's something wrong with me for wanting to die. 
when I have all these good things going for me. And and of course, that's not true for 100% of people, but that is true for many, that yeah. it can be alienating. And, and one of the things is, you know, there's a certain type of depression and suicidal thought. And again, bringing up perfectionism, this is, um, this can happen, especially in the context of perfectionism, where the person feels like, the reason that they are depressed or have suicidal thoughts is because they're defective or they're bad or they're, you know, they've failed. And so we don't want to reinforce that by, by saying they should feel differently, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's one way to shut somebody down that can be very well-intentioned, you know, or to say it gets better, um, very well-intentioned message, but first, we need to hear w- what the person is experiencing and how they're feeling. And really, you know, what I recommend, if possible, is repeating back to the person mm-hmm. what their reason is for wanting to die to see if you've understood it. Yeah. And yeah. can I give you an example about that, Chris? Yes, please. Uh, examples are always super helpful. Okay. Um, so in my early days in suicide prevention, I volunteered at a crisis hot, at a suicide hotline and I needed to observe the lines before they would set me loose as a, you know, suicide uh, hotline counselor. Mm-hmm. And I observed somebody call and they said something to the effect of, I hate myself or no, no, they said, I'm a bad person and I don't deserve to live. And the counselor said, you're not a bad person. Oh, you yeah. absolutely deserve to live. Everybody deserves to live. And she didn't listen to him. She basically conveyed he should feel differently, which I wish it were that simple. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I wish you could say to someone, you're not a bad person and that they could go, oh, my God, you're right. I didn't yeah. think of that. <laughs> yeah, know? right. I didn't. Yes. <laughs> so but, what should she have said? What would you have recommended? Well, there's, you know, there's different ways to respond. There's not one way, but I would say, I would say there's ways that shut the person down and there are ways that open the conversation up. And Mm -hmm. so ways that to open the conversation up could be, and of course I'm a therapist and I need to hold in mind that I have skills that I learned in my training and in my experience But a lot of these are are skills that that are taught, like, for example, in customer service positions, you know, and parents mm-hmm. learn them. There's a book, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk, you know, and mm-hmm. these are the same kinds of skills. And that's to, to in, you know, to ask or say things that create the space for the person to tell you more. So for example, if someone says to me, I'm a bad person and I don't deserve to live, I think the first thing that would come to my mind is what a painful way to feel. You know, yeah. Can, can you tell me more? Or yeah. what's what's happened? What's what's gone on that's mm-hmm. that's led you to feel that way about yourself? Mm-hmm. You know? There sometimes, you know, depending on the person, the context, and the content of what they've said, sometimes just not saying anything and just, you mm-hmm. know, saying or or maybe not saying anything is too uncomfortable to imagine, in which case you could say, Well, you know, I of course I don't think you're a bad person and don't deserve to live, but I want to know why you think that. Mm, right. Yeah. 
Like, of course, I think you're amazing, <laughs> but what's going on with you? Huh? Right. And, you know, of course, I think you're amazing and something must really be going on for you to yeah. feel that way about yourself. And can you tell yeah. me about it? Yeah, that's great. If only I had all these, even just as a mother, you know. <laughs> well, it's when funny they were- you say that because somebody who read the book, they said to me, I don't know anybody who's suicidal, but I still learned yeah. how, how to listen to people. Yeah. Yeah, that it, it's truly amazing. It's so funny how um, we're, we don't necessarily know how to listen and, and ask the questions that bring out more rather than shut, the shut down. Well, and the reason I call it brave listening is it's scary. You know, yeah. I mean, to really listen to someone who wants to die or is in distress, it, it's, it's scary to the listener because we want to help. Of course, we don't want somebody to act on their suicidal thoughts. And, and people, I think, have an innate need to feel helpful. And mm-hmm. so, so that's why people immediately go into problem solving or encouragement, you know, reassurance, mm-hmm. or even worse, you know, sometimes people, and I'm revealing my bias, but I don't think it's helpful to say to somebody, well, suicide's a sin, you know, oh, how, how yeah. could you think of that? Maybe it's helpful in some contexts, depending on somebody's religious beliefs, but I feel like that would be very alienating. Mm-hmm. And, um, but again, it's usually good intentions or or instinctual um, right. actions to to help someone feel better and right. to protect oneself from feeling bad because from the pain. Yes, yeah, it, it's it's sad and and anxiety provoking to really listen to somebody when they're saying things that are hard to hear. Yeah, and what about if if there's sort of this. Um, how if somebody is really like i have no hope how, is there a way to say well i mean i guess you're saying what what what's bringing you to say that you know that there is no hope um yes but is there is there anything you can say i guess there is there is there anything you can say that that cheers people up <laughs> such a dumb question even as i'm saying it it's not a dumb question at all. I think it's, again, I think it's instinct. You know, like if you see somebody drowning, you are going to throw them a rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and there's a line in a song, I think it's by David Wilcox, where he says, before you pull me out of the well, why don't you ask me if I'm finished yet? And mm. that may not be verbatim, but that's the gist, which is that sometimes I mean, my first book is called Helping the Suicidal Person Tips and Techniques for Professionals. And I got to pick out the photo for the cover. And I picked um, a winding staircase, uh, you know, a circular winding staircase that is light Mm -hmm. at the top of the stairs. But you see in the middle is this black hole where, Mm -hmm. you know, the stairs are circling. And the way I envision this concept is that most people, they stand in the light at the top of the stairs and someone who's in that black hole, they call down and they say, come on out. It's light up here. You know, Mm -hmm. come on out. You'll feel better. You'll see more. But the person who's in that dark hole, what they need is somebody to come down and be where they are. Mm. 
mm. and to see where they are and to sit with them. And, and there's another psychologist, David Jobes, who talks about a, a relate, a, you know, a very similar concept. And what he says is you go into the dark room with the person, but you don't close the door. Mm. And, you know, and so you go down into the darkness to help the person and to bring them out with you rather than just calling out to them and expecting them to be able to come up. Yeah. Yeah. That is such an interesting idea. You know, I guess one of the things that, um, and I don't know if you have an opinion on this, is like I know people who have not put their children on antidepressants because of the risk, the potential risk for increased suicide thoughts. Do you have an opinion about that? I mean, do you think that that in your, in your um, dealings with people, have you seen that that actually does happen or is I might just going too far afield here? No, you're not at all. I mean, there's research that has shown that a very small percentage of people do have an increase in suicidal thoughts when they take antidepressants. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense. I mean, what I've observed with psychiatric drugs is if it can produce one effect, it's able to produce the opposite in some people. So that's why, you know, you'll see that a side effect of some drugs can be weight gain or weight loss, insomnia Mm. or hypersomnia. And so it makes sense that if it helps some people to not have suicidal thoughts, that there are going to be some people, I mean, it's, it's affecting that the mechanism, you know, whatever Mm. that mechanism is that can increase um, the propensity for suicidal thoughts. And so it can affect it, for better or for worse, but the research um, tends to indicate, and it's I, I can't say it's unanimous, um, but there, you know, there is significant research that indicates that taking antidepressants does less harm than not taking antidepressants yeah. if somebody is uh, has um, major depression. Yeah. Yeah. And, okay. and by that I mean the risk for suicide is higher to for that if that major depression goes untreated then if they take antidepressants and have you know a, there's that chance for a slight increase or you know for an increase in suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts but the chances the risk is much higher without the antidepressant got it yeah that that makes sense to me and so you know i guess if someone if they're not at the point of um, uh, first of all, I'm going to tell everybody they should go get your book to read this. <laughs> if this is something, um, well, thank you. But what, um, you know, if they're not at the point of, okay, they've got the gun in their hand, but you're like, they're like, yes, I actually am thinking about it. Do you need to follow them around? You know, <laughs> like what, what is the, how, you know, I suppose it depends, but is that too intrusive? Well, you know? it it definitely depends. And, um, you know, I, the first thing, like I said, is to have a good conversation or try to. And, and then you might ask, it, what can I do to help? Although recently I heard something that said, don't ever ask what you can do to help. Just offer a specific thing you can mm-hmm. do to help because people have a hard time thinking of things. Um and if possible, to help that person get help, whether from 
a physician, an outpatient therapist, a hotline, you know, to to give them um, that information or to, you know, offer to help them if you're in that position where you can. And if the person is in danger, yeah, try try not to leave them alone if they're in immediate danger. And especially if they're in, if they're saying, I'm going to kill myself right now, or, you know, I've come to say goodbye or, you know, things that are final, then that, that, then it's very clear cut. But another thing that people can do is to help the person with suicidal thoughts, make a safety plan. And this is something that a lot of therapists use and emergency room doctors and different professionals, but, but lay people can use it too. And there's a website called suicidesafetyplan.com, and they have a safety plan that's been used in research studies and has uh, been found to lower the chances of suicide attempt. And you can print that out and and walk through the steps with the person Mm. of of what are the things to look for that, that mean that you could be triggered or you could mm-hmm. be become in, in danger or more danger. Um, what are things you could do to distract yourself from acting on suicidal thoughts? What are places mm-hmm. you could go to for distraction? Who are people you could call for help or mm-hmm. go to for help? And then the next layer of that is professionals. And then this is very important, Kristen, and I'm afraid it's, it's overlooked by quite a few people. And that's keeping what, what can you do to make the environment safer? I'm not going to mm-hmm. say safe because there's always something that mm-hmm. is out of our control. And so again, let's go for, we can't go for perfect. Let's go for good. <laughs> you know, like, no, we can't remove everything in the world that somebody can use for suicide, but what can we control? And the biggest thing people can control is firearms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's very partisan in this country. There's. Yes. There unfortunately. Be, yeah. yeah. I mean, there can be a lot of um, vehement opposition to saying secure your firearms or even better, if somebody in your home is at risk for suicide, don't have a firearm in the house. Even Mm -hmm. if they're not at risk for suicide, you know, like even if they're not having suicidal thoughts, they're at higher risk for suicide ultimately. Wow. Just by having a firearm in the home. And probably everyone who's listening can think of a time where they did something very impulsively or they were experiencing something that felt unbearable. And so they did something immediately to attend to that. And that can happen with somebody. Who, who's gotten really bad news or who is in extreme despair or is intoxicated um, where they get an impulse and, you know, they feel like they've got to end what they're feeling now and their impulse is to get a firearm and that's in the house, you know, that they have mm-hmm. access to. And then there's no turning back for most people who use a firearm that right. it's, it's fatal in most cases. And so, the more we can slow down people and the more we can um, uh, prevent them from having lethal means, the more chance they have to make it through those impulsive moments. And, mm-hmm. and not everybody, believe me, not everybody with suicidal thoughts is impulsive, but it it is what 
to me, underscores it. One of the, I mean, obviously, the biggest danger of firearms is the person can die um, much more easily than with other methods. But another danger of firearms is just that they're irreversible. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, oh, and, just... and by that, Kristen, I just want to say that I know people personally and professionally who, after they made a suicide attempt, changed their mind. Wow. Yeah. And there's no room for changing your mind. I changed my mind. I attempted suicide in my 20s and I mm-hmm. changed my mind. And had I used a firearm, there wouldn't have been that opportunity. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's the, ooh, that idea of being in partway there and then saying, wait, I don't want to do this. Ah, we have a strong survival instinct. So, well, and and there's a theory that we get dissociated from our body when Mm -hmm. we have suicidal thoughts and that then the attempt reconnects us Mm. and that then we and I don't mean this as an advertisement to attempt suicide to regain a will to live. But, no, no, but no, no. There's, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Kevin Hines. He's a gentleman who does a lot of talk around suicide prevention. And he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in his, I think, early 20s, maybe late teens. He may have been 19 or 20. And he says that the moment he became airborne um, after jumping off the bridge, the moment it happened, he had the thought, I made a mistake. Uh, uh. He was one of the few who survives, but he, he had, he said he dove off head first. And because he knew he made a mistake, he, as much as he could, he tried to right his body so that Mm -hmm. he wouldn't land on his head. So we'd land on his. Wow. Uh, Okay. Well, I love this idea of let's just talk about it. And mm-hmm. listen, and I love that question, you know, what's, what is making you feel this way? You know, why do you feel, I mean, whether you have somebody who's wanting to commit suicide, you know, why are you feeling so bad about yourself? What's happened? Mm-hmm. Um, why, why are you feeling there's no hope? Why are you feeling yeah. that things will never get better? Mm-hmm. Um, and not why in an incredulous no judgmental way. Like, why would you think that? But more like, more like what's gone on like you. I like it. So what's, what's happened? What's yes. happened to make you feel that there's no hope? Yes. I like that. What's gone on or what's happening to make mm-hmm. you feel like there's no hope. Right. Well, thank you so much. This is obviously incredibly important work. Um, can you remind people again where they can find you, your work, your book. So if this is something they need to learn about, um, sure. they know where to go. So two websites, one is speakingofsuicide.com, and that's for anyone who's affected by suicide or suicidality in some way. So the person with suicidal thoughts, friends and family, uh, someone who's attempted suicide and survived, sadly, very sadly, people who have lost someone to suicide. And then my my professional website, stacyfriedenthal.com. And it's my professional website, but I do have a picture of my cat on it. So that's, uh-huh. you know, that's that's a reward. And I want to put more because I think cats are great suicide prevention and for yeah. some people. They are. Thank you so much, Stacy. Um you're welcome, all Kristen. Of, 
all of you listening, thank you again for being here. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 